In today's episode, we cover leadership, customer service, and time management. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic, and with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk, and it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally and you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country, and they're now opening up beta access on a limited basis. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N.app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what trends they're paying attention to, uh, what are the principles that guide their decision making, and we ultimately try to take the insights from their career and then apply those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, today, I am super excited for this episode because we are sitting down with Disney legend Lee Cockrell. So as far as Disney World legends go, uh, Lee is up towards the top of that mountain. Uh, A little bit of background on Lee. Lee Cockrell retired as the executive vice president of operations for the Walt Disney World Resort in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. And it was a position that he held for 10 years. So what exactly does an executive vice president of operations at Walt Disney World do? All right. He basically... Everything operations related at Walt Disney World teared up into him. So his responsibilities encompassed a huge mix of operations, including 20 resort hotels with 24,000 guest rooms, four theme parks, including Magic Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, Epcot, Animal Kingdom, two water parks, five golf courses, a shopping village and nighttime entertainment complex, which was back then downtown Disney. Now you know it as Disney Springs, Uh, the ESPN wide world of sports complex uh, and the ancillary operations and support functions all tiered up into Lee. And so, yes, as a part of my dad's interview process to come in at ESPN wide world of sports, he had to interview with Lee. Uh, My dad was one of the many people who prior to recording this episode had told me about what an incredible leader Lee was from firsthand knowledge. It's not just uh, leadership lore. It's actual people that have worked for him telling me, hey, you got to have Lee on the show. Um, So a little bit more background on Lee. 
He joined the Disney organization in July 1990 as director of food and beverage and quality assurance for the Disneyland Paris hotels. Now, prior to joining Walt Disney World, he had a ton of hospitality experience already because he spent 17 years in various executive positions with Marriott and eight years with Hilton. All right. So what has Lee been doing since he retired from Disney? Let me tell you. Lee is the best-selling author of four books on leadership, management, and world-class customer service. Uh, his first book, which is really the it was the first book that I read post-college, uh, the first book of my professional career, and it's called Creating Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney. And it's now available in 21 languages, uh, if that interests you. Uh, but it was really kind of the core book for us that really summarized a lot of Disney Institute's thinking, practices, principles. So it was given to me by my leader at Disney Institute. And it was kind of like, hey, if you want to soak up all the knowledge that you can, read this book. Uh, and it was super foundational for how I think about leadership, customer service, culture, uh, and really shaped some and instilled some great principles within me before I developed a bunch of bad habits that a lot of us tend to do coming out of college. So, all right. Other books include The Customer Rules, The 39 Essential Rules for Delivering Sensational Service. Uh, that is another great one by Lee. Uh, Time Management Magic, How to Get More Done Every Day. Huge for leaders right now where we're being asked to do more with less, uh, especially in sports and entertainment. And last one, uh, which we talk a little bit about this topic, but we mainly spend time talking about the, the different concepts in his first three books uh, and lessons from his career in those areas. But his fourth book is Career Magic, How to Stay on Track to Achieve a Stellar Career. Ultimately, that book's kind of about career management and knowing that our audience tends to be a little bit more senior leaders in sports and entertainment. Uh, we didn't dive a ton into that topic, uh, but we definitely went deep on the other three. Um, all right. One more additional fact about Lee. His son, Dan, recorded a podcast with us back in December of 2019, and it's one of the most listened to episodes that we've ever recorded. So if you thought that the name Lee Cockrell sounds familiar to you, might be because of that. Who knows? Uh, all right. If you enjoy this episode, you get a lot from Lee, you want to hear more about his stories, uh, you want to follow along his journey now, you can start by visiting his website at www.leecockrell.com. That's L-E-E-C-O-C-K-E-R-E-L-L. Uh, additionally, we are going to put a ton of other Lee-related resources, things like uh, his podcast, his LinkedIn, Twitter handle, uh, and anything that gets mentioned in the episode. We're going to put all those resources in the episode show notes so that you don't have to worry about uh, rewinding, taking screenshots. You can always just refer back to the show notes. All right. Without further ado, let's jump into this wide-ranging episode with the Disney legend, Lee Cockrell. Lee, welcome to the show, round two. Yeah, great. Great to be back with you. So little background to everybody listening. Uh, Lee and I tried to record on Friday and technology as it is, you'd think we'd have it down by now, but uh, it messed up. So now we're going Lee's route. Lee suggested doing it on Zoom. So here we are. Yeah, I hope this works. Me, yeah, me too. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll, we'll, we'll be in good shape. Um, well, let's start here. Uh, a couple of these questions. Again, we, we already talked about them on Friday a little bit, but our listeners didn't get a chance to hear it, even though I did. So let's start with your window. 
when you walk down Main Street USA in Magic Kingdom, the Disney legends have uh, windows up along the shops uh, and they're really special windows. So talk to us a little bit about your window, what you got it for, uh, kind of what it meant to you. Yeah, well, the windows were started when the parks opened in Disneyland in 55. They started putting windows up for people who had made, as they said, significant contributions to the Disney company. So uh, you got a window and it was a takeoff on whatever they thought you were uh, good at building uh, parks or engineers or food and beverage or uh, legal. And uh, so it's kind of a spoof on those things. Mine is... uh, uh, says uh, it's about the Main Street Diary, which is a communication piece that I started at Walt Disney World to all the thousands of cast members every week, uh, really giving them appreciation, recognition, encouragement, uh, training on safety, on our own, our purpose, our guests, uh, and we put their names in it and recognize them, and uh, it became extremely popular, and uh, over the years, I got known for uh, that communication piece of communicating with all the cast members. And um, so uh, my window says the Main Street Diary, uh, Tales of Inspiration. So I'm the editor of that document. Because all of those stores on Main Street are like old time uh, stores from turn of the century. So, and those kinds of towns, I don't know if you've been in many of them, but they have those windows, uh, the lawyers, they're, uh, doctors, everybody had uh, inscribed on the windows of the stores what they did for a living. Yeah. Okay, so so two things. One, do you, well, first thing is I want to know about what your favorite window is or the coolest window you think that is up there that's not yours. And then the second one, I want to go down into talking more about Main Street Diary. So we'll start with what's your favorite window or the coolest window that you think that's not yours? Yeah, well, I didn't know most of those people and I probably didn't pay as much attention to them as I should have, but Ron Logan is somebody I worked for. And, uh, you know, he uh, was really the star of all entertainment uh, for Disney for many, many, many years, Uh, not only in the parks, but also doing the Super Bowl halftimes, any spectaculars around the country, uh, special events. Ron was the guy and he has a window that, uh, and uh, he's a musician also. And uh, what, what is he his, worked, he worked all those years. He went over to University of Central Florida and was a professor for 10 more years. I think he's just retiring now. So uh, he's quite an expert in that whole business. And he had the ability to uh, sell his ideas to, uh, you know, the Michael Eisner's and Bob Iger's and, and uh, they trusted him because he really knew what he was doing. So, yeah, that's a pretty cool one. And, and now you worked for him? Uh, he, actually, we worked together. I was worked in charge together, of operations. Okay. He was in charge of entertainment. And uh, uh, we worked, uh, I would say, together, trying to figure out how to get things done. What did, what did you admire about him, about his leadership style? Well, his style is uh, he uh, will only tell the truth, whether you like it or not. He didn't play much politics, which can be a hazard in corporate life. And he just tells it like it is. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. And uh, I like that. He and I got in a couple of scuffles once because I did something with that. That was really his responsibility and I didn't tell him. And, but we, we patched it up and if uh, he's a good if, friend. If you're not getting into some scuffles, some constructive <laughs> conflict, are you really moving forward, right? Yeah, it's true. And 
he, he was very professional about it. And uh, uh, after the first five minutes when he called me. <laughs> well, let, let's talk a little bit more about Main Street Diary, the reason why you have your window. Um, I think a lot of times, especially over the last year, what I've seen with different organizations that we work with is sometimes leaders are scared to communicate to their team unless they have some really concrete information to give. Uh, but you put out a weekly document that had all sorts of information in it. So obviously you didn't always have a concrete announcement to give. You were giving a lot more updates. And I think for you, it seemed like consistency of communication was more important than completely clear, concise information, right? I mean, tell us a little bit about your approach with Main Street Diary. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be consistent so that because people, you know, just like your mother would tell you, she told you a hundred times to do something and you still weren't doing it. So she had to keep telling you. And that's the way when you got thousands and thousands of people, uh, you've got to keep communicating. You got to keep telling them over and over and over again how important what we do is uh, about the guests are coming here and spending a lot of money. And it's maybe the biggest trip of their life. And that our purpose is to make sure it goes perfect. And that we're all uh, uh, actors in our show. We're putting on a show and each one of us has a role and we're trained how to do that role and we're expected to be professional about it. And so I hammered that over, over and over and gave a lot of appreciation, recognition, encouragement to cast members for doing great things. Uh, talked a lot about safety because safety was a huge issue. Uh, that, that literally uh, not only is it the right thing to do, it was costing us 50, 60 million dollars a year in workman's compensation cases. And we we have took that by, down by 50 percent in 18 months when we started focusing on it and communicating about it and uh, applying discipline to people who weren't working safe. And uh, that was amazing. We saved 25, 30 million dollars a year and just on that one. So we promoted that a lot. We talked about it a lot and we didn't want people getting hurt either. I mean, that's uh, right. Right. That's the worst thing could happen at Disney. It's bad enough for a cast member to get hurt. But if a guest gets hurt or a child, you pay for it in the paper and the bad publicity. And uh, so safety is something we talked about a lot. And but Disney's a city. It's a easy to get hurt there if you're not careful i mean it's a city you know yeah. we've got 300 buses monorails boats all the good ways to fall overboard and yeah we got all of it and so we uh, really that was a high awareness factor we talked about and many other things in the main street diary uh, yeah so is, so main street diary was a combination of driving home and highlighting specific behaviors you wanted your staff to have it was a chance to recognize staff. It was a chance to give company updates and were there, were there trivia and things that you threw in there or happenings, um, I'm guessing as well. Yeah, we had guest letters from that came in from the guests just going on and on about how great we were and how great somebody was, how great little Mary was who took care of them in their hotel. And those are uh, those were stories that the cast loved to hear because they started to find out that they made a personal difference. And it's nice to see your name and to be recognized. And we all like that. I mean, we all like to be uh, matter. We, and, and yeah. You, and you, you said people still come up to you or you still get emails asking if you've got that copy of the, the Main Street Diary that they got mentioned in 30 years ago, right? Yeah. 
I've gotten several where people said they lost it or they moved or they want another copy for their mother because they can't find it. And it's just fun. And, and also it had the names of their fellow cast members in there. They worked with, they're trying to find somebody. And so we've got all those and uh, I kept them all and I've got them on, on uh, CDs now. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's something, something I think uh, that a lot of people listening can learn from just that consistency of communication, whatever message it is that you're trying to drive home, being consistent about it. And today, today I would do a podcast, you know, because that's even more effective. You can get to people easily. They can listen to it at home on the work, way to work in the car. Uh, uh, it's, it's very powerful. And uh, my son who ran the magic kingdom for years, started a podcast every Friday at eight minutes, just telling people how much they appreciated him. There was 12,000 people in the magic kingdom and what he wanted them to focus on this week and any, all that kind of stuff, eight minutes. And, you know, you do eight minutes of training every day over a year, you've got a lot of uh, great information that uh, people, and hearing your voice is important. Like right now, you know, I think people are forgetting it. We can't be together so easily, but hearing somebody's voice and seeing people, Actually, uh, it works. It, it makes you uh, it feel like you're more there and they care about you. When you don't see a person, you just see some typed words. It's different uh, because the tone of your voice, uh, how you talk about something, the excitement or the disappointment, uh, uh, a description. So I would say podcasts and uh, using technology today can be extremely effective for people trying to reach their people and get them more committed to do a better job, a great job, stay, reduce turnover, uh, all those kinds of things. So, yeah. And it, it doesn't, I, that's it's such a good point. I mean, there's so many tools out there now. I mean, one that I like a lot is called Loom, L-O-O-M. And it's basically a Chrome extension that you use on your browser. You hit the button and it starts recording. And somebody in a, a group that I'm in did that yesterday, got asked a question. He said, it's gonna take me too long to type it out. So he hit the button, recorded a seven minute video, and every, so no production value, it doesn't, he didn't let the production value and the need for it to be perfect, get in the way of actually communicating. And well, he hit, and everybody commented, that was the best seven minutes I've ever watched. Right. And, well, and I'll ahead. tell you something I've gone back to when you talk about communication, I get emails all the time from people wanting to know something, what I think about something, what they should do with their career. Should I take this job? I'll, I don't respond. I just call and in three minutes, we resolve it. It's over because you try to type out and there's misunderstandings when oh. you send emails. And so I just call them up, but that shocks them. And then we have a good conversation. Then I got another person kind of committed to my uh, uh, working with me. And so I would tell everybody, get back to picking up the phone. It's uh, a powerful thing for somebody to call you and to show that they care. We care. And that there's no misunderstandings in a phone call like there is in an email or a text. Uh, yeah. Agreed. Well, let's, let's transition topics a little bit. I've got your book in front of me, Creating Magic. Uh, on, uh, I've, got a, I've got a kind of bookmarked here. There's a part in there on page seven, really early on, where you kind of set the tone for the rest of the book, talking about the Disney formula for success that basically goes leadership, employee excellence, guest satisfaction, business results. Talk to us a little bit about that formula and how you saw it play out while you were leading uh, Walt Disney World. Well, I think uh, uh, a uh, 
something like that is really important because when you got 70, 80,000 people working, you want to be able to explain to them a model for how we all should be thinking about what we do and how we, how we get results. We know what we do, but do we know how we do it? So when new people come in, we can talk about that and train them. And so uh, we call it, uh, you know, uh, that program we used to say, uh, employees are, are great, but the guest is the most important thing in life. And that's not true. At the end of the day at Disney, we, uh, we talk about that leadership is the most important thing because unless you have a great leader in place, they can't create an environment and a culture where the employees want to do a great job. You know, we all do a great job because of how we feel about somebody we're working with. I mean, we can do better or worse. People can annoy us or they can make us happy. They can be respectful or not be respectful. So leadership really carries the heavy load of uh, creating an environment and culture where everybody wakes up in the morning, wants to come to work, a place where everybody matters and they know they matter. And then the cast members just do the job because they want to, not because they have to. And bingo, you get business results. You get more profit, less turnover, uh, less theft, uh, more commitment, uh, all those. I mean, we know that. I mean, you know, when I work for somebody that's really good, I give them more. When they treat me respectfully, I give them more. And there's no upside to treating people badly. There's no upside. I always tell people, if you think there is, try it on your wife. There is no upside. <laughs> You might get some short-term results in the office, but you're certainly not going to get very long-term sustainable results. No, you're not going to get it at all. And you can't even tell what the results are because it's in people's minds. It's not, uh, you can't see what performance could have been. Were there any specific stories that you can think of where that chain of excellence or that formula for success of leadership, employee, guest, business results came to life? Well, I think what happened is that's not the way we used to think about it back in the late 80s and 90s. And when we started thinking that way, and I came to that conclusion that that was certainly made sense. You know, it was hard to not say the guest is not the most important thing because everybody said that, <laughs> but right. nobody was sitting thinking, really, are they? Well, they're not going to have a great experience unless we have the leadership. And so uh, I can just tell you that it, watching leaders across the property start to refocus on being better leaders so they would get those kind of results. And by the way, leadership didn't know that either. We didn't know how important it was to be respectful. And to we thought, you know, a lot of people think management leadership is just telling people what to do. <laughs> you know, you, I'll tell you what to do. I'm the boss. You do what I tell you and don't ask any questions and uh, that life will be good. Well, that's not true. And that may have been true back in the 50s and 60s when most organizations were run by ex-military people because the war had been over in 45 and most executives in the years ahead were, you know, generals and colonels and first sergeants. And uh, that's that everybody was used to that way of life. But you, you can't do that anymore. Young people won't stay. They'll walk away. I never thought about that correlation that that's how business was run largely because we had so many people coming out of the military and into the business world. I never, I never thought about it like that. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm still, a, still a young pup, but uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense. Everybody was in the war in the military. I mean, everybody. And uh, you know, hundreds and millions of men came back and the men, by the way, ended up running things. And uh, 
the only way they knew is you follow orders. That's how you get things done. <laughs> right. right. That's, that's yeah. That's uh, but over time, young people today they know more. They want to be more. They want to be more involved. They want to be included, and they're smart. Good education. They understand technology. They understand how to get things done. And uh, I know. I mean, I see it over and over and over again. Young people will not stay with a company that does not involve them and respect them and listen to them and make them uh, as important as they believe they are. Yeah. You you mentioned that Disney wasn't always like that, and and uh, that they weren't always. Disney wasn't always super focused on the employee experience and leadership as much as they should have been, uh, and that changed over time. Uh, I think in the sports and entertainment world, which is where we spend a lot of our time working with with clients, it, there's a similar a similar mood there where a lot of people, as to what it might have been at Disney, where a lot of people could easily fall into the trap of thinking, so many people want to work at for Disney, we don't have to treat them as as nice as we should because there's a line out the door of people that would be waiting for that job. I think that same mentality exists in sports and entertainment a little bit. So how did, I mean, how did you go about convincing other leaders in the organization that they needed to focus more on being great leaders and inclusive leaders that cared about the employee experience? Well, as I told you before, Judson Green, who was president, introduced this concept of we've got to get better, be better leaders and outlined what it looked like. And then everybody had a lot of training and uh, over that we're not going to keep working the way we have over the last decades where you got to get the job done, but it's going to matter how you get it done. Uh, you can't just beat people up and uh, and uh, if you don't like that, it's going to be a rough ride. And about 50 executives left the company over the next three years, senior executives, 20 and 30 and 40 year people quit because, oh. or got fired because they couldn't adapt, you know? Uh, and um, every time we hired a new manager, we did better job. We looked at what kind of leader they would be. Do they have management skills? What is their personality like? Can they get along with people? Do they respect people? And then every time we had a promotion, we paid a whole lot more attention to the whole ball of wax, leadership, management, and how it all comes together. And we started selecting better. And when you have great people, you get better results. I mean, that's just the way it is. And when you have people who respect people, you get better results. And all of a sudden, turnover went down. Uh, people started saying, and by the way, the military is doing the same thing right now. They they have the same problem you and I have and the sports people have is they want to hire great people, train them, get them committed and keep them. You know, even you see in sports that some of them, they don't get along with each other and they walk away or they don't renew their contract or they fire them or, or they, they get into trouble with drugs or alcohol or misbehaving. Just like in Disney, people can misbehave at Hilton yeah. Marriott at Costco, people misbehave. And, uh, that's uh, what happens when you start, if you lose the morale, you know, a good person leaving can really do a lot of damage to the team or to any team. Of, uh, and and uh, so uh, it all comes together that this is, I think it was always that case, but it, society just didn't operate that way until it became to now everybody figured out talent is the name of the game, you know, talent. 100%. And, uh, but behavior has to be a part of that talent that, uh, you can't just, you know, you've seen it in sports where you have a great star that just totally is, uh, 
crazy and the whole team can't work together and they come to work late and they don't get along with the general manager and they, um, and it never, and it doesn't work out. And uh, so I think we all didn't, we all want know that now. I, I don't know why we didn't know it then, but uh, yeah. It, it, it's, ob it's obvious now. By the way, team, you're supposed to work together. That's right. That's right. <laughs> two, two things I, I want to unpack there. Uh, the first thing that you said is, you know, it really, this really came from Judson uh, at the, at the top level saying, I mean, in, in part, right. Obviously there was a, a group of you guys, uh, but if, if this desired change doesn't come from the highest levels of senior leadership, you're really fighting an uphill battle because if your highest levels of senior leadership don't fundamentally believe that this is the way business should be done, you're, you're on, you're in a boat without a paddle. It feels like you've worked with a lot of organizations. You see that to be true as well. No, it's that's spot on. I mean, that's exactly, it comes from the top. We start, it's like a glacier it comes downhill, you know, it, it starts at the top and rolls right over you. And so if it's good stuff, good stuff comes down and bad yeah. stuff comes down. And, uh, it's such a simple thought that, uh, you wonder why people don't get it. Agreed. I, I mean, too, too often. I know this has been the case for you as well. We, we'd get asked to work with organizations on whether it be culture, leadership, or customer experience, and they just want to do it with one department. And I'm like, it, it's, 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 it's not going to work the way you think it's going to, right? There's that person who ultimately runs the department and tees up into somebody else is going to get the pressure that is in conflict with what they're trying to do, and eventually it's going to peter out. But. And you may pick the wrong department. They may be the good ones and are just annoying you. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> so so the, the, the other thing I wanted to unpack was when you talk about hiring great leaders and promoting great leaders, I think this is going to take us into your, your big initiative, which was Disney Great Leader Strategies. But I want to I hear a little bit more about what were the specific behaviors that you looked for in leaders when you were going to promote them or when you were going to hire them and leaders that were really successful. What were those behaviors, the specific behaviors that you looked for when hiring? Yeah, well, one thing was that they were a team player and they were uh, 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 flexible and they were uh, good learners and they would listen and they would be uh, they wouldn't try to be the lone ranger that you know a lot of people come to, you can't work at disney if you think you're the one if you're if you think you're a star uh, i it just doesn't work I, I told people when you become a big deal don't because big deals don't survive at disney be, you know, they get into they start off and it just gets into trouble one thing after another but we were looking for positive attitude of uh, somebody that everybody wanted to work with. Uh, we were looking for passion that you really wanted to do the kind of work we were putting you in. That was your thing. And people that have passion are often, it's, you know, chefs, you see passion in chefs and you see passion in sports. I mean, there's where you see passion. You 100%. don't always see passion in accounting or finance or, but it's there. It's just low key. And so we were looking for people. They wanted to do this no matter what, and uh, that uh, that uh, they always wanted to get better. They were open-minded to changing the way we did things when we found a better way. Those kind of things. How did you test for those behaviors? Because I think it's nice to say all those things on paper, but how specifically did you test to see if they yeah. fit fit what you were looking for? Yeah, we started working with the Gallup organization. 
out in Omaha and doing some leadership development and leadership uh, profiling. And it was quite effective. We All the executives had to be profiled, including me. And uh, uh, what kind of what kind of tests did they run? Do you remember what that was like? Oh, yeah, it's about two and a half hours on the phone with somebody. They don't want to see you. They don't want to know what you look like. They just want to ask you questions and see how you answer them. And uh, mine came back that uh, I really don't like to work. (laughs) That the only way, the only reason I work is because I have this deep responsibility to my family (laughs) and that I have a lot, I have a lot of uh, conflicts with authority. I don't trust people. I, uh, but I get the job done, you know, it kind of came out that. But so this Cockroy, he's a complex guy. He doesn't trust anybody. He doesn't like authority. He thinks everybody's a crook. And, uh, that's, and it was true. My wife said, I could have told him that I didn't, you didn't have to spend $1,200 to get a profile done, uh, that I'm insecure, that I'm defensive, <laughs> all that stuff was, they were able to learn. And, uh, we were looking and the, they it was a they, they tested you on like 22 areas of leadership uh, teamwork getting along decision making making hard decisions uh and uh i had enough of good ones but uh <laughs> and by the way after that i knew more about myself i had to kind of uh really temper those things and start to you know i didn't understand how screwed up i was until i got that report and then i started when you know more about yourself you start to understand oh, okay that's probably right i do not like personal feedback about my performance i get defensive so i started learning that you know maybe it's good to get that because uh, if people who you trust tell you the truth you can get better and uh, so that that whole profiling was very very interesting and we tried to put it talked about your business skills your strategic skills your decision making uh, can you make the hard decisions? Uh, and uh, that helped us team people up, you know, like we could put a good business person together with a good creative person when we're mm-hmm. creating something because the creative people don't care about the budget. They'll run a million dollars over and they needed to have a team that both of them had. Every, we've all got weaknesses and we need to be working with people that can help us uh, get over those when you're doing a lot of important stuff that you don't yeah. screw up. And so teaming up people together, putting teams together that complemented each other was really came out of that. And it was great. No, no question. I, I think there definitely should be more of that in, in, our, in a lot of industries, sports and entertainment in particular, I think too often in our industry and, and again, other industries as well. It's like this person performs well at their job. So we're just going to make them a leader without doing some more of the let's find out what this what are the core principles that make up this person and allow us to move this person from department to department, leading teams of big, small, whatever it may be. That's one of the biggest problems today is taking a star and putting them in a leadership job. You know, it's like in the uh, lab scientists, you take the best scientists, make him in charge and he hates it. And uh, he wants to do research. And uh, so we got to really be careful about that. And we as individuals got to be careful about being led into it. Because uh, once you get into a job and you're dealing with people, it's real different than test tubes. Let me tell you. (laughs) 100%. 
Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about Disney Great Leader Strategies. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that program, what it was, what it contained, and what leaders that don't work for Disney can learn from that program. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was just frustrated at the time that we had this uh, direction to get be all be better leaders, and it wasn't happening. People were struggling, and uh, I was complaining, and we had a... Uh, a consultant that was working for Disney at the time. And she said, well, why don't you quit complaining? Let's do something about it. So she came to my house every Sunday for a year and we would sit and I would talk to her about what I thought leadership looked like. I talked to her about the mistakes I made in my career. I talked to her about the things I wish our leaders would do, the things I wish they wouldn't do. And we slowly but surely got this document created and it became uh, Disney Great Leader Strategies. And uh, it was 12 strategies, boiled it down to 10 eventually. Uh, and became the basis for my book, Creating Magic. And it was really to get all everybody, you know, when you say be a better leader, what does that mean? You know, you need, <clears throat> you need to do a better job. What does that mean? You don't seem like you care about your work. What is, you know, and so we wanted to define, here's what it looks like at Disney. Now, any company can define what it looks like, but it meant uh, we started really focusing on people and training and uh, uh, coaching. I mean, in your business, coaching is kind of a big deal. And it, it is, but for some reason, it doesn't happen in the front office. Even though on the field, it happens every day that you can't go on the field and perform without a great coach, but there's no coaching that happens in the front office. It's crazy. It's crazy because people don't understand that it's exactly the same. You don't get better without somebody... You know, maybe you should, don't have a film of the work in the office you can look at, but people know, everybody knows. I mean, everybody knows what each one of us should be doing better. And hopefully we have a boss who will tell us and help us get better because hopefully they want me to be more successful. So they're going to teach me and train me and give me some hard feedback sometimes and make sure I always tell people you're not as good as you think you are. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> that's so the problem. So once you created and kind of codified the or codified the 10 leadership behaviors that you wanted everybody to have, obviously it's in your incredible book that everybody should go get creating magic. It's the first book I read post-college and really set my set my tone for, for my beliefs in the workplace. But you you developed it and you guys turned it into training at Disney. It was that every person that managed people had to go through it. Talk to us about the actual structure of how you delivered that content to your leaders throughout the organization. Yeah. Well, when I got it finished, uh, I set it up to make sure that I spent four or five hours going over each one of those with each one of my direct reports, the, the vice presidents, and making sure they understood it and clearly and what it meant and how it would look and make sure they answer any questions they had about it. Do you understand it? This is going to be what we're going to judge people on going forward. And then they had three or four weeks to roll it out to their direct reports and to sit down for hours and discuss it and talk about it. And then those people had four weeks and it took us about three months, four months to roll it. And we, we actually went over it with the uh, frontline staff too, just so they could understand what to expect from their leaders now. This is we expect our your leaders to meet with you, to give you direction, to be interested in your uh, career, <laughs> and and that put the pressure both ways. And, uh, how, and then yeah, so I was that, just, how did you? I think a lot of times organizations try the trickle down approach, 
but they don't really set up true accountability checks. How did you hold your, obviously with your direct reports, it was a little easier to hold them accountable, but once you got a couple layers down, how did you hold those mid-level managers accountable for delivering the message to their team that you wanted? Yeah. Well, we did an annual survey put on by a third party and we all had to take it. Every employee in the company took it. There was questions about, do you have the resources to do your work? What the environment is like, what the culture is like, what uh, all pretty tough questions. And but two of the big questions are, were, would you work for your leader again if you had the choice? And one was, uh, would you work for Disney again if you had the choice? And uh, <clears throat> those are pretty hard hitting. And we did that survey every year anonymously. So we all got our results back anonymously. And uh, I got uh, really hit hard on showing favoritism. Lee shows mm-hmm. favoritism. He doesn't treat us all the same. He doesn't listen to everybody. He always eats lunch with the same people. He sits next to the same people in meetings. People know. I mean, it becomes obvious if, we, if you don't give a crap about them. And uh, I had to work on getting over that. And uh, those surveys, really, we had managers that were in shock when they got their results. That People hated their guts and didn't want to work for them. And uh, so that took a turn. Now you got your results. Now you've got uh, a month to work on what are you going to do about it? You got to meet with those people and tell them you got show them your results, which was really hard. And then you've got to tell us what you're going to do. And then this next year, you're going to get on the survey again. And if you don't do well, you're going to get somebody assigned to work with you personally to get this done. And if you keeps if it's a third year happens, you're going to be fired. I mean, I mean, that's, yeah. if you can't bring it around. Plenty of leash, yeah. Plenty of leash. So it was a system of in your face. Guys, people think you are a jerk. You don't listen to people. You're never available for people. You don't get back to people. You don't tell them what they need to do better. You let people come to work. You don't do anything about it. Uh, people don't have the resources and they keep telling you and you don't get them for them. Uh, people don't have training and and they're complaining about this and you're in charge. Uh, yeah. So it, it got out in everybody's face really quick. I mean, the, just, just my quick reflection on this. I mean, we continue to just talk about leadership and employee experience. And again, you, you had billions of dollars reporting up into you and this is how you spent your time, right? You spent your time focusing on leadership and employee experience and what the culture was and I, I just think I can't, we can't stress it enough. And we do it on the show all the time about how important that is to, to stressing on that instead of just thinking about the numbers on the back end. Um, Absolutely. The numbers will come by themselves if you get this right. It will. Well, let, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about external pressures on the organization that comes through. Obviously this last year has been a, a year with tons of external pressures that came out of nowhere with with the pandemic impacting our industry of sports and entertainment a ton. But at Disney, Disney was also no stranger to external pressures. So I, I want to know, how did you lead through those trying times where you had external pressures impacting the internal? Um, so did you did you try to calm the fears of employees or did you kind of kick the pressure up to get everybody into high gear? I guess, talk to us about a specific situation and some of the strategies and tactics you use to get through it. Well, maybe uh, 9-11 was a good example. All of a sudden, 35% of our business was gone. People canceled like that week. I mean, uh, and we were given direction and uh, through all the financing from Burbank was we had to take 
at least $400 million out of our cost base in the next 30, 60 days. And uh, wow, I mean, we were like in shock. And, and to add to that, Al Weiss, who was the president of Walt Disney World at the time, who I report to, also told me that the direction from him was, we're not going to lay anybody off. I'm going like, are you out of your mind? Where are you going to find four million dollars? You're not going to lay anybody off. I thought he was crazy. I mean, I said, you can't do that. He said, Lee, you can do that. And uh, so myself and a team, the team, we were about 20 of us, senior people in charge of different areas. We got in a room for a month, seven days a week. We worked on this and I had to step back because I had some people who were much better at uh, figuring out the strategy on how to do this, industrial engineers, at re executive positions. And, and uh, over that period of time, we figured out how to close the parks earlier, how to uh, close down some hotels, how to, uh, we asked, we really asked the cast members for every idea they had to save a dollar or a thousand dollars. The bartenders know, and the waiters know, and the secretaries know, and we got there. And I was shocked that we were able to get there. And I think that point was we got everybody involved. Uh, we told people, people gave up their vacation, gave it to other people. We ever, we all took, everybody took redu reduced hours so that everybody kept their job because the key would have been if we had to lay those people off, they would have ended up on the street with no health insurance. Uh, I mean, it would have, and business actually came roaring back three or four months later. <clears throat> and uh, it was the right decision, but it was a matter of asking everybody and telling them the truth. This is, we're taking, we're, we want $400 million. And uh, I think, I think a, you can't lie to them because they were going to see it anyway. <clears throat> right. And, uh, they, get, they came forward, and uh, I think that the trust that we got out of that exercise uh, is still long-lasting. People remember that uh, when you tell them the truth and engage them and bring them into the problem. To, I mean, bartenders figured out how to save money rewashing stir sticks in the dishwasher. I mean, <laughs> I was going like, they knew things we would never know in the rest of our life, that people cleaned the bathrooms, learned how to do it quicker, how to use less chemicals. Uh, I mean, amazing. I mean, I was going like, they know always the people at the lowest level know more than you'll ever know in your whole life. And uh, yeah, so that was a good lesson for me just as grew me a lot in what I thought could happen in the future. And I don't know if I always believed that bring a man in there. But yeah, I learned a good lesson about people. And I still today I would any major situation, I would bring people in and tell them the truth and ask them to help me. But the, the key thing that stands out from what you just told me about that story with 9-11 that I, I feel like hasn't has some organizations in our industry of sports and entertainment have done it well, but others haven't done it as well. And that is combining with your consistent communication of constantly telling the truth and getting them involved. I think there are a lot of people over the last year without live events in our sports and entertainment industry that have kind of been waiting for that shoe to drop and waiting for those layoffs to come. And because there wasn't clear, there wasn't clear communication coming from leaders as to what the financial situation was and what was gonna happen next and what those individuals could do to help. And so if I'm, if I'm listening to this, those are still things that you can do today is tell the truth, communicate clearly and get your frontline people involved to help create the solutions. 
Yeah, the truth is an amazing thing. <laughs> it solves many problems. It, it does. It does. <laughs> well, uh, I, I kind of I want to go back a little bit to some of these great leader strategies, and this ties in. Of those ten, are there any that stand out to you today? In light of everything that's going on with the pandemic uh, and where business is at going forward, are there any of those ten that you think about? That saying, you know, that was a really strong one, and that that one behavior is even more applicable today than it was when you wrote the book ten plus years ago. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> some of the middle ones are important, but when you think about it, number one, is make sure everybody knows they're important, and stay in touch, and communicate, and talk to them. And uh, uh, there's the other one is about appreciate, burn the free fuel, appreciation, recognition, encouragement is a it that is the fuel that drives human performance. That is a free fuel. It costs you nothing. It'll get you better performance in every area of your life, including home, work, girlfriend, uh, <laughs> appreciation, recognition, encouragement. And last is the one on character. Uh, mm. Making sure you really read your character. Are you honest? Are you telling the truth? Do you tell people what you really believe? Do you stand up for what's right? Or are you just trying to stay low cover and keep your job while everybody, you know, this is... You know, character and treating people right, those two things. I mean, those are the things that'll drive you no matter where you go in your life uh, to a better place. Uh, that it. you can be proud. Would your mother be proud of you if you took care of people and took care of your own character? Well, probably that would be the thing she would expect. She doesn't get involved in training and uh, your, the other right. people taking the hassles out of the customer experience and uh, staying ahead of uh, the competition. That's not her concern. Your mother's concern is your safety, your character, uh, uh, what your legacy is going to be. Uh, I mean, it's such a simple lens to look at it. She cares about who you are, not what you do. She doesn't care what you do. She cares about who are you? Are you somebody I I can be proud of? And did I do a good job with this young man? I mean, that's, it's a good lens to look at our professional lives for sure. Absolutely. Um, let, I, I want to move to another one of your books. Uh, and this is part of what you were known for as part of your, your wide reaching legacy at Disney, which was time management, <laughs> right? I, I think right now, again, uh, this theme of there's so much to do and we're doing it with less resources, especially in sports and entertainment. How do I manage my time as a leader? There's never a day where I can shut my laptop off or my computer down and I got all my to-dos done. That doesn't, that, those days are long gone. So how, how did you approach time management as the head of operations for Walt Disney World? You obviously had no shortage of things to do. How did you approach time management at, at Disney? Well, first of all, I'm wired that way. I don't need to know everything. I need to have people that are great and they do their job. And if they need me, they call me. I don't call them every day to make sure they do their job when I'm paying a ton of money and they're an expert in whatever they do. So I don't have to get involved much because when you got great people, they'll take care of it. That's the first thing. Second is be clear about your expectations when you hire people, what you need them to do. And, uh, and uh, then training. Train people so there's no misunderstandings about what your job is and what the expectation is, and you got to do it. And uh, then figure out where you're going to spend your time. And you got to really think about why a lot of people are spending a lot of time checking up on people they hired to do the job. Now, if you're checking up on people all the time and wanting to approve everything and they got to come to you 
then you either hired the wrong person or you need to go see a psychiatrist. What's your problem? I mean, why do you have this control problem? You know, give me a break. I mean, it'd be like you going with your kids on dates when they're 18 to make sure everything goes well. It's too late. <laughs> you gotta let you gotta let it go. You can't get involved in everything. You gotta figure out where you spend your time, and then that's it. You're, that's it in business and at home. You gotta create the right culture so your wife looks forward to you coming home instead of wishes you would die. <laughs> you know? I mean, you create the environment and the culture that things work out. Uh, you know, when people trust you, you, you got a lot more time. And if you look at everything, if I look, looked at every single thing you're doing or that uh, Katie's doing, or I could I could pick out 20 things you've got to quit doing. And you're oh, I, I'm and sure. You need to get better at because you're, you know, and it may just be whatever, having hard discussions with people. Like when you do some things, other things never happen. When I hire good people, a bunch of stuff doesn't happen. <laughs> when you hire an idiot, lots of things happen. hundred percent. So you know, this is what you got to look and say, why am I doing this? What the hell am I doing? Why am I just doing this? Why don't I just do these three hard things and that'll take care of business. And your hardest thing may be replacing somebody. You need to spend every day getting that done until it goes away. Or you maybe you need to get better at uh, having hard conversations with people, or you need to get better at some technical part of your job so it doesn't take you so it takes you half as long to do it than it does now. So, how, how did you how did you decide what to delegate versus what that you should do yourself? Well, when I hire somebody, I already know what they're going to. Well, I go over it and I go over that great leader strategy and I go over their authority and their point, uh, how much authority they have. But, but I got to I got to imagine that business changed over the course of time and, and new responsibilities came on that hadn't been communicated to leaders. Right. Like I think about right now in the pandemic, there's tons of activities right now that people should be doing that weren't part of their tasks and responsibilities when they got hired. So I guess I, I mean. Talk to me about that, about how expect when expectations changed, how did you either pick up new things by yourself or, or delegate it out? How did you decide? Yeah, I mean, as things change in your life every single day, you decide, okay, am I going to do this? Is somebody else going to do it? If I'm going to pay somebody to do this, am I going to hire a contractor? Am I going to sit down with that direct report of mine and tell them, uh, sorry, but you got some more work to do and uh, you got to add this to your list of responsibilities and uh, uh, do what do you need to be able do you need more resources do you need a new computer do you need uh, to me to more clarify your authority level so you don't have to come to me mm, I mean that's, I that's, that's, that's a good one authority I'm easily I don't need don't be coming to me with every little thing because first of all you're the expert I don't even know what you're talking about so <laughs> make you got a budget you know what you're supposed to be doing and when you are insecure, you call me and we'll talk about it and then I'll help you know, go do it. And it's, it's that, it's that relationship where people know, Hey, I got a problem. I'm going to call Lee. He'll, he'll, he'll give me that little reassurance I need. I know what to do, but I need that little reassurance, you know, and we should all use reassurance, you know, when I'm going to make a hard decision, you know, and I'm going to spend a lot of money on something and I'm not an expert in that area. I'm going to call somebody up and say, can you take a look at this? A lawyer, a real estate agent, a finance, my finance guy. Uh, 
and they'll tell you, yeah, you're on the right track, Lee, or no, are you crazy? Don't even think about doing this. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's good listening. Anyone listening to this, like, this is really good stuff. I think for you to think and take back to your own organizations. Don't be embarrassed um, that you don't know something. Everybody already knows you don't. <laughs> so, that's, that, especially me. I know that's the case with me. Well, so nobody, I, we, cares. nobody cares about that. That's nobody expects you to know everything. We just have a few more minutes. So I want to hit you with some rapid, <clears throat> some rapid fire questions. Okay. You ready for these? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, let's, here we go. What's the name of a book that's had the most impact on your life? You're not allowed to say one of yours or, or Dan's, but we'll link, we'll link to all of them in the show notes. Yeah. I'll say one early on. It probably was written in the fifties or sixties is the effective executive by Peter Drucker. So good. So good. It's, it's, it's amazing. Book I learned about how to focus more time with people. One thing I learned from him was spend four hours with your people, not 15 minutes, and you'll solve almost all your problems because everything will come out during that period. Don't be running around 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Uh, also, of course, the seven habits were very effective for me about behavior. I really, those struck, they were simple. They were easy to understand. Uh, I didn't need anybody explaining it to me. I liked that a lot. I liked good to great because I worked with him on a project we did with the military and he's a smate. I forget it with Jim. Uh, Jim yeah, smart, yeah. smart, 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 dry, really. And he was into the uh, analysis, which I'm not a big analysis person. If any weakness I have, it'd be, I'd do something without doing the analysis. And he, he proved it that this works. And so those kinds of things. And, uh, and there's new ones coming out every day from really smart people out there that are having these new points of view on, you know, having difficult conversations is a book that is really everybody ought to read. And who's that one by? Is that, that's not, uh, I forget who wrote it, a lady. And is is that Brene? Is that not Brene Brown? Is it? We'll look it up. She's great. I mean, she's, she's she's great too. And, but one thing could save you more time is how to have difficult conversations. Boom. I'm not going to talk to you every Friday. I'm going to talk to you today and it better get better. <laughs> We're not going to have a Friday meeting for half an hour for me to tell you what you screwed up. You'll hit it right away and have that you conversation. Gotta get with it. Here's the understanding. Tell me what you need, but let's get over the, I'm not going to, you can't handle me anymore. You got to do your job. All right. Not as rapid fire as I would have, uh, as I would have planned, but this is much better. I like the, the deeper answers. Um, all right. So a couple more, you can have a giant billboard. Where do you put it or not? Where do you put it? But what do you put on that billboard? Uh, yeah, it's never too late to get better. It's call never too late to get better. Okay. Me. Call me and pay me. Here's my number. <laughs> call if, if you want to get better, call Lee and, uh, and he'll make and it I happen. I know more than you do. Cause I'm old. I love it. Um, all right. What advice would you give to a new leader who's moving from that strong individual contributor role to a leader of people? So we talked about it earlier of one of the mistakes is we just take a star and we promote them and now they're leading people. But if you're in that situation, what is some advice that you might give to that person who's now leading people for the first time? Yeah, I had to do it. I was a, a, a kind of an expert in the food and beverage business. I became a general manager of a hotel. And when I got to that hotel, I'd never been a general manager of a hotel. I didn't do anything for 90 days. I didn't uh, make any big decisions. I met with my team, my team every day. And I had a yellow pad with questions. How much is the water bill? How much is the, 
electric bill. How do we do this? How do we do that? And they would say they knew or they didn't. Tomorrow morning, they would we'll meet again tomorrow. They'll tell me. And I walked the hotel every day, three times a day, talking to the cast members. What do you need? What? One lady just said, we need more hangers. We don't have enough hangers for valet for checking your coat. That's all she needed. I, she, I, she thought I was a hero. I gave her $25, go get some more hangers. I mean, <laughs> things like that. And I did that for 90 days and I knew every dime. I approved every invoice. Nobody could approve an invoice but me because I learned what we're spending money on, how much tomatoes were this week, how much they were last week, how much meat was, what was going, uh, how much that motor was in the air conditioning system. Why did, what happened? Why? And I be, nobody, I mean, when you sign the bills, Oh yeah, you learn a lot. And then you got a lot of questions for your people. Why did we do this? This is the third one of these I've seen this month. What the hell's going on? You know, and uh, you catch people, you catch people stealing, you catch people lying, you catch people don't know why they bought it. Uh, I told the chef one day, don't serve tomatoes anymore in the salad. They're too expensive because McDonald's just started putting tomatoes on sandwiches and the price went up nationwide. He said, are you crazy? We can't do that. I said, yeah, don't do it. We did. <laughs> the customers didn't care. I mean, I'm not going to pay $40 a flat for tomatoes, but I knew what they cost. And they, three weeks earlier, they were $20. So get involved, listen to the people, find out what's going on in your business. And then when you're going to make a big decision, ask them what they think. And then you won't have to reverse. I mean, it's just simple. Don't be a jerk. Just talk to the people that are doing the work. They know what's going on. And uh, get into your financial statement. Find out what all those numbers mean. And it's all, all those numbers, by the way, are, is money. <laughs> That's right. Either It's either money made or it's money saved one way or another. Absolutely. Right? Either way, and it's going to the sudden, bottom line. In three months, you're an expert. You know everything. And, Lee, I think that's a great spot to wrap us. Uh, we could we could keep going for forever. I, I love talking with you. you. You have so much energy and so much wisdom. Uh, and, and there's a lot of places for people, if you guys are listening and you enjoyed uh, the conversation with Lee, there's a lot of ways to follow Lee and learn from his insights. Uh, Lee, where, where are some of those places that people can follow you or engage with you and, and learn from you guys? I mean, if they like this kind of conversation and they don't have any money, they can listen to my podcast. It's 15 minutes every Tuesday. It's free. It's called Creating Disney Magic. It's on leadership, management, and customer service, just like you and I talked here. There's 350 episodes. And we talk about anxiety, depression, getting laid off, how to, you know, we talk about every subject candidly. Uh, and then you can go to my website, leecockerell.com. Uh, where you can look at the uh, my new product, uh, the Cockerell Academy, which is an online learning system. That's so good. You can get uh, look at videos there. You can order a planner that's free, how to plan your day. Uh, there's, uh, I don't know, all kinds of things there. Yeah. yeah. As you say, are you, are you on, on Twitter or anything else? I'm on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. You're not on TikTok, are you really? Yeah, I'm on TikTok. And the reason I started looking at TikTok, if you want to know what young people are thinking today, go there. Go on it's TikTok. Shocking. <laughs> it's shocking. And now I'm on there and I'll, I don't put much on there. I'll put it on and I get about 100 people say, oh, I like that. But I, uh, we'll make it 101. I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. Uh, I think that's what you do on TikTok, right? You follow it, them. So I'll follow you today. You need to, you can't avoid these things because there's something going on there. And that's a whole part of the world. 
and you got and I'm on I'm on all of them. We'll, we'll link we'll link to all of them in the show notes so that uh, yeah. if people want to follow you or engage with you, Snapchat. They can. I Snapchat because <laughs> my grandkids, when I Snapchat them, they can't lie because when they open it, I can tell they've opened it. See, so uh, they're you pretty fig- impressed. You figured out the system. Uh, yeah. well, so for anybody listening, especially want to hype up Cockerel Academy, uh, it's a flat fee and you get access to everything, all all of their course, all of Lee's courses, and and Dan's courses are on there too, right? Dan's courses aren't on there yet. His books on there and okay. he's got, he's doing a great job with his courses. He's, he's created a college course for university of North Third in Arizona. And the first starts this tonight. It's an online course for students and uh, yeah, he's doing great work. Huge. That's great. I'm, I'm so happy for, for all of you guys. And uh, yeah, well, for everybody listening, we'll link to everything in the show notes and uh, Lee, it's been great having you on. Appreciate say it. Nice to say hi to your dad. He knows about all this stuff already. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll let him know that you said hi. I I, uh, I asked him if he had any deep, dark, secret stories that I could tell, and he's like, "No, I'm not getting not giving anything away." I'm like, "Oh, all right." He has them. He's just going to be quiet. He's just holding out on them. So, all right, Lee. We'll talk to you later. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.